Hey everyone, welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Every episode is a journey where I take you to explore crime, forensics, and historical cases. Join me as I inform, educate, and entertain true crime enthusiasts through criminal justice and dark history tours. My name is Judith A. Yates, and I'm an award-winning author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Now, grab your crime scene kits, notebooks, and hats, and join me on this investigation. Hello, this is part three, the final installment of podcast three. The date is mid-1930s. The place, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Your mission is to close the case of a serial killer. In this case, you are about to arrest the most evil female serial killer you have never heard of. First, let's review our notes from part two of our journey. At the corner of 10 East 21st Street in South Main in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we found a set of old stone steps leading off a vacant lot down to street level. They are the remnants of one of the most evil female serial killers you may have never heard of, Carol Ann Smith. Now, let's talk about two women that have entered Carol Ann Smith's life. There's 24-year-old Virginia, and she's met Carol Ann Smith in 1937 at a Christian Science bookstore. Carol Ann would ask Virginia to move in with her, and Virginia happily did. Seven years later, Virginia would say she was, quote, hypnotized and mesmerized, end quote, by the older woman. There's 23-year-old Nell Walita, who goes by Walita, and she met Carol Ann at a grocery store sometime in 1938, a little about a year after she meets Virginia, where they talk occasionally. Now, Walita eventually tells Carol Ann about Walita's terrible childhood. And at Carol Ann's assistance, Walita would move in with Virginia and Carol Ann. Both women initially thought Carol Ann was the sweet, nurturing, kind woman. She treats them like daughters. She fusses over them carefully, just cares about their well-being. But slowly, the care turns very sinister. Carol Ann tells each girl lies about the other, but she makes them promise not to tell each other what she has told them. So all these lies are swirling around this fancy apartment. Now to Virginia, Carol Ann has confided that Willetta was a nasty prostitute. I'm sorry, Willetta was a nasty prostitute who had done horrific sex acts. And Carol Ann was just a pious woman who's trying to save Willetta's soul. To Walita, Carol Ann is confiding that Virginia was this homicidal maniac whose own mother hated her. Carol Ann was caring for the poor dear, rather to send her to a scary old asylum. Carol Ann is soon taking the girls' money and doling out very, very little to the girls. She's controlling their movements. She's controlling who they speak to, who they spend time with. And she's holding these religious ceremonies making them believe she ruled their souls and deciding if they'll go to heaven. Ration books became very necessary in the Second World War. 
Carol Ann Smith begins defrauding the government by declaring ration books for herself, Virginia, Lolita, Carol Ann's deceased husband, Carol Ann's deceased father, and former maid, also deceased. She also lists an 11-year-old nephew, Bobby, who turns out is actually Bobo, Carol Ann's bulldog. Someone drops a dime on Carol Ann, and the rations board flags Carol Ann's application, which notifies the Tulsa Police Department. And this is enough for investigators to obtain a search warrant on 10 East 21st Street, this very nice, opulent home, especially when a neighbor reports seeing two women burying coffins in the backyard with Carol Ann Smith staring down from the balcony at night. Neighbors also reportedly hear screams and growls coming from the house at all hours. So here we are in the backyard of Carol Ann Smith's stately home at 10 East 21st Street. Shovels are hitting the dirt. Investigators are digging, digging. Dirt is flying until the shovel hits wood. Now the investigators are scrambling around. Did you hear that? I heard it. It hit wood. There's wood down there. Is it the coffin? They start digging more frantic, tossing clods of dirt with their hands, clawing, clawing into the dirt and the dust until the coffins are exposed. The first coffin held the remains of a dog. They start digging a few feet deeper, pull that coffin out of the dirt, and there was a second coffin. They pry it open, and there's Bon Bon, also known as Bobby. So it was revealed it wasn't just a dog collecting a rations book, but a dead dog. That's a first. But jokes were over when investigators stepped inside the house. For it was inside the house where the most horrific sights and the biggest surprise awaited. It was like an old horror movie because the basement held the terror. Virginia Evans and Willita Horner were being kept in the basement like neglected animals, allowed out only to go to work. They washed in the cold water of an industrial mop sink. They slept on orange crates with threadbare blankets, and they lived on food scraps. Their clothing was filthy. What few things they were allowed sat on shelves lined with newspapers, and they were walking around like little zombies for Carol Ann, cooking, cleaning, scrubbing, washing, doing the laundry, doing the dusting, and they worked at her whim. They took care of Carol Ann and all of her things, and Carol Ann had a lot of things. Investigators counted besides closetfuls of clothes, 18 pairs of gloves, 26 hats, and over 200 pairs of shoes. And the books! Carol Ann had books and books and books on top of books about developing willpower, magnetism, self-mastery, creating one's own fate, magic, witchcraft, controlling the human mind, and many notes and writings on these subjects by Carol Ann herself. She wrote copious notes on mind control. She had cosmetics, one investigator would note, enough to stock a drugstore. Virginia and Willita went to their jobs every day, 
but turned over every cent they made to Carol Ann. They had also relinquished every bit of their savings. Once away from Carol Ann, Virginia and Walita began talking. The truth spilled out, pent up for seven long years. Finally, they could trust someone. Finally, they could trust the investigators. They could talk freely to one another. And talk they did. They did hateful things to neighbors. Virginia and Walita admitted at Caroline's bidding. She made them do it. They fought one another. And they had left their own families and never tried to escape or report what was happening inside the walls of the house. It was all per Carol Ann's rules. Carol Ann had created her own religion and carefully studied mind control and brainwashing techniques. She had Virginia and Walita convinced that if they didn't follow her orders, they were surely doomed for hell. Like a cult leader, Carol Ann was using religious teachings with her spin doctoring and her charisma, the isolation, the fear, the intimidation. She had taken all their money, so if they did leave, where would they go? She had isolated them from friends and family. Carol Ann viciously beat the captive women. She only gave them just enough food to keep alive, so they really didn't even have the strength for anything except work and home. The women stayed because they were told they would receive that great reward in heaven. It was called the big payoff, one of the girls told the investigators. And the abuse? Oh, that was part of what Carol Ann called religious purification. There was more to tell. So much more. Carol Ann's fury burst past the doors of her own home. There was that case of the false assault charge. Carol Ann hated a neighborhood man. His name was Andrew Millick. She told him, get on, move, I don't want to see your face. But he flatly refused. So Carol Ann cooked up one of her plans. Carol Ann had told Virginia and Walita, write out a false claim that Millick had assaulted Walita. The women were told what to say verbatim, to write out a script and memorize it. Then, Walita was made to go outside and hit Andrew Millick with a stick. Whack, whack, whack. After a few whacks, Walita fell to the ground. Virginia called the police. Millick was arrested and charges were filed. The three women went before Judge Tom Shaw and testified in municipal court. They had rehearsed for hours on end, and now they said Millick was a peeping Tom. Wiping tears away on the stand, he looks inside our windows, and I know he looks at our underwear, our unmentionables, excuse me, and he's creepy, and he's always watching us, and, and he says things. <laughs> they bought it. An innocent man was found guilty, charged, fined, and forced to move away. Carol Ann won that one. Carol Ann had built money out of Virginia's father. Tom Evans was old and had barely any hair left on his head. He was stooped. So she took advantage of an old, broken-down man. But remember, he was quite wealthy. Carol Ann told Tom Evans that Virginia was mentally ill and needed special care. 
the wealthy old man began sending $31 a month to pay for Virginia's care, and that included paying for a nurse whose name was Thelma Watson. Eventually, Tom would end up spending almost $17,000 for Virginia's private nurse and non-existent medical conditions. The money went right into Carol Ann's bank account. Now, occasionally, Tom Evans would visit his daughter, and he noted Virginia looked exhausted. Carol Ann would show him bald patches and her scalp, explaining that Virginia had gone into rages and yanked handfuls of Carol Ann's hair out in fits of rages. But no worries, Carol Ann assured Tom Evans. Thelma is an excellent nurse. And Carol Ann loved Virginia, understood her illness, and I'd rather take care of her and tolerate the outburst. I understand her. I am not sending her to one of those horrific asylums where they treat them like old dogs. Tom Evans was so very thankful, and he kept sending money. The truth? Carol Ann had forced Virginia to stay up a day and a night before Tom would come to visit. She had ordered Walita to yank the hair from Carol Ann's head so she could show bald spots. And she had invented Thelma Watson, the perfect caregiver for Virginia. No nurse ever existed. Now there's a story that Walita's mother came to Tulsa trying to find her daughter only to wind up dead. A story is known that a repairman had been called to the house to repair the furnace at 10 East 21st. Clumping down the stairs and into the basement, he located the furnace and began laying out his tools. A sound made him realize he wasn't alone. Virginia and Walita were watching him from a dank, dark doorway. When he turned around and saw them, it made him jump. I didn't know anybody was down here, he said. The ladies were shivering and they wore dirty clothes, dark circles under their eyes, and they were extremely thin. Their eyes were drooping and they just stared at him like little owls. Are you two okay? he asked. They stared at him. Nothing. Do you need help? They do not, Mrs. Smith said from top of the stairs, again making him jump. That basement, it was just spooky. And now Mrs. Smith was stepping slowly, purposely, regally down to the basement. What's wrong with them? The repairman asked. They just returned from a mission in South America, Mrs. Smith said. They would like to bathe, but without the furnace working, it would be too cold for them to warm up afterwards. Oh, okay. The repairman patted the furnace. Big grin. Well, I'll have her up and running in a few minutes. That would be greatly appreciated. Mrs. Smith was not smiling. Job completed, the repairman went on about his day. The rude woman and those frightening younger ladies were out of sight, out of mind, until he received a subpoena several years later to testify in front of a grand jury. Walita Horner and Virginia Evans had existed like this for seven long 
years. She put a hex on us, one of the captives told law enforcement. That comment was leaked to the press, who gave the house a moniker. The house will forever be known as the Hex House. As the investigator dug further into her past, they found the trail of death Carol Ann left in her wake, none of which could be proven. Carol Ann Smith was 51, Walida Horner was 30, and Virginia Evans was 31 when the crimes were discovered. Carol Ann had taken out insurance policies on both Virginia and Walida, naming Carol Ann as beneficiary a month before the women were found. They were probably saved just in time. But then the women found out they were not alone in this house. A seven-year-old boy had lived there, too. Carol Ann had taken him in. He had short brown hair, wore slicked back, and he had very handsome brown eyes. He was cute with an impish smile. He was tall for his age. But just the few months of living and working like a little slave for Carol Ann had put deep circles under his eyes and his smile had turned into a tight-lipped grimace. He's my nephew, Carol Ann said. Carol Ann was arrested. The seven-year-old boy, Virginia Evans, and Walida Horner were set free. And the Hex House, as it was dubbed, became the biggest attraction in Tulsa. Like many locations in true crime lore, People flocked to the stately home at South Main and 10 East, 21st Street. Ghost stories were being told. It was popular to go to at night, waving flashlights. Shut your eyes and you can feel the autumn air on your face. Hear the whispered voices telling the story as you and your friends huddle on the lawn. Once, right here, in this very spot, there was an old witch who lived here. Her name was Carol Ann Smith. It's 1944, and we attend the trial, slipping into the courtroom through heavy wooden doors as they creak open, taking a seat on the hard, straight-backed benches. Among those called to the stand are Virginia Evans, the repairman who had observed the silent, filthy girls in the basement, Walida Horner, Andrew Millick, falsely accused of assaulting Walida so many years ago, and the seven-year-old boy Caroline had kept captive. And Caroline Smith, dressed to the nines, will also take her place on the stand. Virginia Evans testifies, we thought she was leading us into a good life. She always quoted scriptures to bring out her point. They fitted in perfectly with what she wanted us to do. We hear Walida tell the court how Carol Ann had claimed she adopted the younger girl, how Walida's heart just soared at this news. Carol Ann had even told Walida to use the last name of Horner, Walida was convinced this meant Carol Ann had adopted her. Sometimes Carol Ann did use the last name of Horner. 
and the most interesting comment in the courtroom will be made by Carol Ann herself. In my opinion, I'm sane, she tells the court. In October of 1944, a district court judge finds Carol Ann guilty of inducing perjury for the case against Andrew Millett, the neighbor who was falsely accused of assaulting Willita. For this, she is sentenced to a year in prison. In November 1944, Carol Ann pleads guilty in federal court to mail fraud and obtaining money under pretenses from bilking money from Virginia's father by telling him Virginia was mentally ill and needing special care. She also pled guilty for using false statements to attain a ration book. For these charges, she received probation. During trial, a newspaper photographer snaps a photo of Carol Ann drinking from a paper cup. She looks up at the camera. Her eyes are expressionless. They just seem void of human emotion. And for keeping the two women captive and the boy captive, no charge, no charges, nothing, no prison time. Upon release from prison, Carol Ann left Oklahoma and just disappeared. Disappearing from the public eye. No one knows where she went. No one knows what she did afterwards. After testifying in court against their captor, Virginia Evans and Walida Horner disappeared from the news, hopefully to live happy, productive lives. No one knows what happened to the young man, the little boy that they kept captive. The Hex House at 10 East 21st Street was destroyed in 1975. The basement filled in. It was used as a parking lot for a while, and tales circulate of it being haunted. On a side note, the property is currently for sale, if you dare. The old stone steps that run into the street are still there. The only witness to one of the most evil female serial killers you may have never heard of, Carol Ann Smith. For the most accurate information on the case of the Hex House and the best photos, I recommend the YouTube video series posted by Rothline, researched and written by Lawrence Roth and recorded and edited by Amy Roth. Know the signs of an abusive relationship. They include controlling your relationship with others, intimidation, pressuring you to do things you don't want to do, pushing for a quick relationship, and controlling your money, time, and possessions without discussion. If someone you know is in an abusive relationship and you don't know how to help them or what to say to them, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline for help. Their number is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. You can also go to their hotline at www.thehotline.org. They are multilingual and GLBT friendly. Thank you for listening to Best True Crime Podcast. We are a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. 
Every episode is a journey where I take you to explore crime, forensics, and historical cases. Join me next episode as I inform, educate, and entertain true crime enthusiasts through criminal justice and dark history tours. My name is Judith A. Yates. I am an award-winning author, a criminologist, and paranormal explorer. I hope you subscribe, and please stop by my website and check out my books and the games created by my team at www.truecrimebook.net.